You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back, second time this week, Late Kick Extra Podcast. I'm Josh Pate, happy to have you with me. Five-star reviews continue to pour in. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Please keep those five-star reviews coming. This is the new format. As I mentioned, this is the second episode of Late Kick Extra this week. That's the way it's going to be because of you and those five-star reviews from now through at least the end of the football season. Keep in mind, if you are a subscriber here to the podcast, you also get the audio version, the podcast version, of every episode of Late Kick Live, which we also do three nights a week now live, on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, 8 Eastern, 7 Central, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. Those shows have been so, so jam-packed. And there is a lot of stuff you get there you can't get here. There's a lot of stuff you get here you can't get there. So I would suggest subscribing to the YouTube channel, 24-7 Sports, and the podcast here because they're both free. So you don't really have anything to lose. But I just want to say this. I had it kind of disseminated to me and I wanted to push it on to you. You are doing a lot of work, and you don't really realize you're doing the work. When I say you're doing the work, I mean you guys have noticed, just like I've noticed, there has been a very noticeable shift in the overall way that the college football media industry, if you will, covers this sport. And there's been a path down which many in our industry have chosen to go, and it turns you off. And I know because it turns me off, too. It's been a long time since I consumed college football content the way that I used to. To be honest with you, it's why I wanted to go into this line of work, because I thought I was able to do it. But secondly, I just thought that people like me were being so underserved. And when I say people like me, it's synonymous with people like you, because that's really who I identify with. I don't walk into a press box and look around and say, these are my people. This sounds kind of cheesy, but I'm telling you it's the God's honest truth. I would be much more at home walking out into section 313, row 32, because like that's where my people are. Those are the folks I identify with. You're the folks I identify with. And a lot of the coverage out there is not really aimed at you anymore. It's not made to serve you. It's made to serve basically the folks who would be sitting in a press box. So that's not on us. I can't make decisions for other people, but I can decide how we structure late kick and the folks here at 24-7, we talk about it, as I've told you constantly, we choose to go a different route. And the route that we go down is the one that we think you're waiting for us on. And so that is the way it's going to be here. That is the mission statement. That is our identity. And that is the way we go about things every day. And when I tell you that you're doing work, every subscription to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, every one of the five-star reviews you give this podcast or the Barton and Bud podcast or the College Football Daily or any of a number of our team site-specific podcasts. I don't want to name one or two because then 47 others will get mad. So I'll just tell you, hey, if you're a fan of a major program, there's a podcast out there, tailor-made with your program's name on it, courtesy of 24-7 Sports. When you're helping us out and you're leaving those comments and you're sharing this content, people notice. And I'm not just talking about it 24-7 Sports. People up the ladder even further at CBS Sports, they notice And the way you get more of the kind of content that you want is you make it happen. 
and you've been making it happen here. That's why I'm giving you two of these episodes per week and three editions of Late Kick Live per week. It's a direct result and a direct reaction to what you've done. So I just wanted to kick it off with giving you a great big all caps thank you. Probably won't be the last time. Now, without further ado, let's get into it because we have got a loaded, loaded mailbag here. And predictably, a ton of you asked last night, I'm recording this late, late Wednesday night, so you're probably listening on Thursday. I'm going to call last night Wednesday night. Wednesday night, there was a report from Dave Biddle, just scooping everyone's ice cream, by the way. High five to Dave Biddle over at bucknuts.com. That's our Ohio State 24-7 site. And as everyone else has been wringing their hands, trying to break news up there, Biddle just scoops them all. And he breaks a story over on Bucknuts. And the story is essentially the Big Ten is going to revote on their decision to postpone the season. And that revote, haven't nailed down a date. A lot of this is fluid. I want to stress that is the F word of this podcast tonight. Fluid. Fluidity. It's always been that way. It still is that way. It looks like this is going to happen latter portion of this week. And in case you haven't noticed, it already is the latter portion of the week. So this could come anytime. Could stretch into early next week. Who knows? But first off, hat tip Dave Biddle for getting this. It is fluid, and if it's going down the way that Biddle and company have reported over on Bucknuts, a few thoughts here. My initial reaction, and then I got a couple of more sub-reactions off of this, is I thought, huh, well, there's no way they're going to re-vote and arrive at the same decision. I mean, they couldn't possibly be that dumb, could they? That would be a PR nightmare that they don't want any part of. I, they don't want a part of what's going on now, to be honest with you. And so you would think, okay, well, if they're going to re-vote, then already a straw vote has to have taken place behind the scenes, and they know if they have the votes or not. But here was my second thought. My second thought was, okay, well, if we're going to get a re-vote, maybe that is to just merely publicize or put on the record a plan to start the season in late November or in January. Some of the alternative ideas they've been floating to begin with. I think that's maybe less likely, but it certainly is a possibility because no one really knows for sure. Here was the third one, and this is kind of more in the weeds a little bit. It could be that this revote is taking place in direct response to an ongoing lawsuit in Nebraska. I've been tweeting about this, been subtly mentioning on Late Kick Live a lot. I've been mentioning it here. Keep an eye on this. Remember, there was a lawsuit filed by parents of Nebraska players, and it's for 75 grand. Really what it's meant to do is force the Big Ten's hand, and you either provide documentation of how you arrived at your initial conclusion or overturn that conclusion is what we really want if we're the Nebraska parents and pretty much everyone out here with common sense at this point, and we just want you to overturn it and drop this postponement and let's have the season. And if you do that, we'll drop the lawsuit. I mean, that's essentially what it is. It's like an episode of Perry Mason, Columbo, it's really, really been fun to watch. Well, what happened there is this evening, so again, I'm recording Wednesday evening, there was word out of Nebraska that the Big Ten had been told, hey, you got 10 days to provide discovery here. And so translation, they're going to have to show the plaintiffs in that lawsuit how they arrived at that conclusion. And so here was my third thought. My third thought, maybe this is direct response to that, and maybe... There's, for whatever reason now, maybe they're scared of that discovery process because who in the world knows what it could reveal? I don't know. You don't know. But maybe they're scared of that to the point where they're willing to override that initial decision. And they're willing to say, okay, let's go for it. Thumbs up. We won't look terrible because the SEC, ACC, Big 12, they're all doing it. Let's play. Or, and this is the one I don't 
want to have happen, but it's on the table. It could be that they know they didn't handle the process the right way the first time, and now they're simply making the same decision, but they're using proper methodology. That could be a possibility. Basically, what I'm telling you is I think there's reason to be cautiously optimistic. I think we got some traction here. I don't think that the people who are informed and pretty credible on this, I don't think there would be this level of sudden excitement over something that was going to fall flat. But it's been a talking point for a while and continues to be. Presidents and chancellors are making the decisions. So it's great if Ryan Day is texting me right now, and he's not, but if he was texting me right now saying we're good to go, that would be great, but it's only great if he's being told that by presidents and chancellors. Those are the folks, for better or for worse, making the decision here. So keep an eye out. You're listening to this on Thursday. Things could be happening on Thursday. That is both the beauty and the really kind of scary nature of recording these the night before and releasing them the next day. Jay is next up. What is the most random encounter that's ever happened to you at a game? I'm so glad this question came in. I got a couple of them that happened within a two-week span of each other. 2017, semifinal, college football playoff. It was at the Sugar Bowl. That was the year that it was Bama Clemson in New Orleans. It was Georgia, Oklahoma, and the Rose Bowl. So I went to New Orleans for the Sugar Bowl semifinal. And that was a rematch of the previous year's national championship game, previous two years' national championship games. And so I'm walking around the bowels of the Superdome before the game happens, and I'm about to get on the press elevator to go up to the press box to get what is probably one of the best spreads in all of sports media, and that is the spread you get at the Superdome in New Orleans. Yummy, yummy, yummy. But anyway, LSU does a really good job, too. If you're going to Louisiana for football, you will eat very well. You will be taken care of. I press the button on the elevator, and all of a sudden, here it comes just an army of people, and it's, get out of the way, get out of the way, get out of the way. And then they didn't shove me. They said, uh, sir, can we get this elevator? But it was one of those tones where you don't really have a choice. It's kind of a formality. And I said, why not? Yeah, take it. I got 20 minutes to spare here. And it was the governor of Louisiana. I said, oh, that's great. Okay. Well, I'll write that in my journal later tonight, if I remember. Door closes. There goes the governor. Fast forward two weeks, or maybe not even two weeks. It was one week. So it was seven days later. We're in Atlanta. National championship game. It's Alabama versus Georgia. It is a dream scenario for anyone who covered college football in Columbus, Georgia. Two of the three biggest teams in your media market are playing an hour up the road from you in the national championship game. President's going to be there. Everyone knows it. That means get there six or seven hours early for us. So I was in the building like 12 o'clock that afternoon. I think I took two naps in Mercedes-Benz Stadium that afternoon in places that were not designated for sleeping. I can tell you that. And so game time's approaching. And again, I'm, I love to be near locker room areas right before kickoff because I can get you guys footage that you will never see anywhere else. And sometimes I'll run it on Late Kick Live if it's, if it's well enough lit. And so um, literally lit, by the way, and figuratively, why not? And so I'm down there doing that, and I'm done with that, and I'm about to walk to the press elevator again. And again, there's an army coming at me, but this time it's guys dressed in all black. You know, it's the kind of guys who talk into the sleeve of their jacket because they have an IFB that they're wearing, and it's Secret Service. Secret Service, again, snatches me away from an elevator, and this time, it's someone a little bit more important, relatively speaking. It's the President of the United States, and he takes the elevator from me. So what happened, Jay, is in the span of a week, I was cut in line, 
let's just call it what it is. I was cut in line by the governor of Louisiana, and then I was cut in line by the president of the United States. And after the game, no one even gave me so much as a comment card that I could file a complaint on. The end. Next up, John. John says, how much stock will recruits take in the results of the 2020 season? Will these strange circumstances really have any noticeable effect on recruiting? John, I am not a big believer with certain very, very fringe examples, notwithstanding. I am not a big believer that recruits put a whole lot of stock in the season that's happening during what is their senior year in high school. And the reason is, I really think what you're selling those guys on is you're selling those guys on relationships with the coaching staff. So, I mean, you can't have the entire staff get fired. Obviously, that would be one of those outstanding examples. But really what you have is you have relationships being built, and then you also have the concept of selling them on the future. So if I am, let's say, um, Florida State, and I'm trying to rebuild my program down there if I'm Mike Norvell, and let's say we play, what are they playing, 10 or 11 games? So I mean, let's say they hover around 500 this year. That's not a prediction. It's an example. Let's say they hover around 500. And you're recruiting me, and I've developed a really good relationship with my position coach, and I really relate to the head coach. I believe in the vision. I mean, am I really going to be turned off? by the fact that they went 500. He has every reason to underperform this year. And plus, the entire reason I'm going there is because I'm going to be the kind of player that's necessary to win that they don't have there right now. So if anything, the path to playing time is more immediate. And the better the player I am and the worse your record is, the more likely I am to be one of the answers to your problem. So for that reason, again, that's, not a, that's a broad brush answer, I know. And there are exceptions to that rule, but I think that's the rule this year and every year. Maybe this year even more so. Next up is Sam. How long will it take for the Pac-12 and the Big Ten to recover if they choose not to play this fall? Do you see any potential future conference realignment from schools in the Pac-12 and the Big Ten which felt they were cheated out of a season? That's a good question. I think it'll take the Pac-12 a lot longer because I don't think the Pac-12 is going to have a season, and I think the Big Ten is. If I had to guess right here late tonight, early tomorrow morning, that's where I think things stand. I mean, the Pac-12, they've already begun taking pretty drastic cost-cutting measures behind the scenes, laid off a ton of folks. I think the entire digital media department out at the Pac-12 network, which was just egregiously placed in San Francisco, could have found a place for like a fraction of the rent in Salt Lake or Fresno, but no, we had to park in San Francisco. And so, yeah, I think a lot of change is coming out there regardless. To be honest with you, Sam, I thought a lot of change was going to come out there even if they had a season this year. Uh, They've really, really mismanaged a lot of things, not the least of which is the Pac-12 network and subsequent TV deals that they signed. They got a big one, a pivotal renegotiation window and then negotiation window coming up in their next round of TV talks. And that's boring, I know, but that's part of the equation here. The Big Ten, no one's leaving the Big Ten voluntarily. That's just not happening. That's a big difference between you and I talking at the water cooler at work on Thursday as disgruntled Nebraska fans versus a president or chancellor at Nebraska and dignitaries at Nebraska and you know people in the administrative side of things who understand it really means a lot to have this Big Ten sticker on our helmet. And we remember how badly we wanted to get out of the Big 12, and now we're here. And yeah, I mean, we may be upset right now, but by and large, any year that doesn't have a pandemic breakout, we're going to be cool where we are. So no, I don't believe anyone's leaving there. But as for the Pac-12 and realignment, Sam, for all we know, it could have been coming anyway. It could have been coming regardless. 
If it was already coming, then this certainly may expedite that process. But the thing about that, and we learned it the hard way the last time, is you never know until it happens. I mean, you really never know. No one or very few people are insiders on that whole deal. It's kind of like recruiting the night before signing day. You could get so much information that you think is credible that could be irrelevant 12 hours later because a kid can change his mind. So as it turns out, there was no possible way to have inside information because he made his mind up on the stage on signing day. Sometimes this stuff is the same way. You could have multiple overtures behind the scenes. You could have multiple conferences. You could have multiple packages being put together. And you got so many moving parts that it's just, it's like trying to nail jello to the wall, figuring out how all that's going to unfold. So my advice is to grab a lawn chair. If it's nice outside, put it outside. If it's not, bring it indoors and just sit back, relax, and just wait and see what happens. Because I'll be right there next to you, if you have another chair, of course. Scott is next up in Wisconsin. Is Paul Christ secretly happy he may not have to decide between starting Graham Mertz or Jack Combe, Jack Doan as we call him on this show? Or does he feel it's a missed opportunity to shed the persecution that Wisconsin can be conventional? That was a really interesting way to phrase that, Scott. Thank you, though. So persecution notwithstanding here, the persecution of the Badgers. It sounds like a book someone should have already written a long time ago, to be honest with you. I do not think for a second Paul Christ wants this season to be canceled. Paul Christ has got a really good team up there, really good team. And so, I listen, I don't think any coach worth his salt looks at a quality competition at quarterback and shies away from it. What you'd be scared of is if you had a competition and you had to choose the lesser of two evils. And I don't think that's what they have there. Either one of those guys, whoever he chooses to start, they're going to be capable of competing in the Big Ten. I mean, they're not going to have the roster Ohio State has, certainly, but I mean, very few do. Outside of that, I mean, that's a New Year's Six contending team. So no, I couldn't see any scenario where he's upset that he has to choose. I can see every scenario where he's upset he doesn't get to choose. Killer B is next up. If the conferences break away from the NCAA and coaches and teams become more involved, I think the idea of a larger playoff would be on the horizon. What are your thoughts? Well, I wholeheartedly agree with this. I don't have to endorse it, but I can agree with it. And to be honest with you, I'd have to immerse myself in that realignment. I'd have to know what that structure looks like. It could be that if that's where we are five years from now, where the Power Five is totally broken off and we got three or four super conferences out there and everyone is playing Power Five competition every week, it could be that even I look at things at that point and say, you know what, an expanded playoff wouldn't be so bad now. Because I think a lot more of the sport has balanced itself out. I think probably if that were to happen, we'd have a lot more understanding of how strength of schedules should be properly interpreted and properly applied. And I can tell you from the scheduling standpoint, you would have a lot more justification, and you've already seen this. You've already seen a lot of justification in people assuming this is going to happen. They assume that the expansion or the that may be breaking away and the expansion of playoff, people already assume that's going to happen to the point that that's why a lot of these teams have started to beef up their out-of-conference schedule. That's it, why all of a sudden it feels like we had a round. It was this past offseason and the past couple of offseasons where every other day you look up and someone has scheduled a game for 2028. What? Well, what are we doing? We're trying to figure out who's going to play who in week one of this year. But that's what's happening. A lot of folks in athletic departments in major power five outposts in the SEC and elsewhere, they've looked at it and they said, okay, 
strength of schedule is going to matter a whole lot more down the road. And losing one game or maybe even two games is not going to kill you down the road. So with that in mind, and we understand as the in-home experience for the viewer continues to evolve and become better and better, we got to give people a reason to pay this money to come to games. And for all those reasons, I think that's why you've seen the significant beefing up of future out-of-conference schedules. And if you were to have an entire breakaway of the Power Five and they essentially run their own playoff and you know they do their own thing, which I think is probably likely at some point, yeah, I, I pretty much agree with you, Killer B. I think that's the way that would go. Steven is next. Some teams canceling practices last week due to apparent positive COVID cases has me a little worried. Should we be looking at this like a canary in the coal mine that maybe we won't get a whole season in? Or is this more of a good sign, like conferences actually having a plan for how to deal with this and following protocol? I'm trying to stay positive, but 2020 has made it so difficult. Steven, here was my initial concern. My initial concern, as you probably heard me say a number of times on a number of different platforms, was when the Big Ten postponed and the Pac-12 postponed, they were off the table. Turns out that may not be the case, but they were off the table. The ones who remained at the party, the other power three, if you will. The next hurdle was when you had, not if, but when, you had some outbreaks and some hiccups on rosters and you had these huge numbers of positive cases among the general student population. How were they going to handle it? Was it going to be, let's roll with the punches, or was it going to be at the first sign of 24 to 48 hours of a terrible news cycle and PR-wise, are we just going to shut it down? Well, I think we've weathered that storm because we've seen from Notre Dame to North Carolina, Auburn, we've seen major universities, major programs have to shut it down for a little bit, and there was no freak out. There was concern, like you said, but there was no massive freak out. You can tell people are resolved in handling this thing, and you can tell they're well-equipped to do it. Now, here's what you may not know, and here's what I, without naming the university, well, universities, plural, I can tell you for a fact that there were places where when they first had their kids come back on campus, there were insane amounts of positive cases among the roster, among the players, and they got them on campus. I'm talking about big numbers now, and they got them on campus, and they put them through the protocols that were in place, and those same universities are now pumping out numbers like zero per week, which is all the testament in the world you need to know that is the best environment imaginable for anyone to be in. What they're doing on these campuses is so far above and beyond the call of duty, if you will, to ensure the safest environment possible that you probably have to see it to believe it. So I mean, there were some extreme examples when they first got these players back on campus. And even in the most extreme examples, they've handled it. They've weathered the storm. So, Stephen, if anything, I've been encouraged by it because it was inevitable it was coming. How it was handled was the variable. And I've been very comfortable with that so far. Uh, That's why I've had a massive uptick in confidence that we're going to get the season off the ground. And listen, then it becomes a case-by-case and it becomes a let's play it as it goes and let's just – take it as it comes to a sort of deal during the season. But so far, I think you got to like where we're at, given the circumstances. Back to the Bricks podcast. I will gladly give you a shout out, as I just did, the Back to the Bricks podcast, if you are submitting quality questions. And I thought this was a quality question. What is Louisville's ceiling in the ACC this year? Uh, My answer is ACC title game contention 
is their absolute ceiling. Now, this would take overachievement on a number of levels, obviously. It would take overachievement on the offensive line, which has been terrible for a number of years there. So I think, number one, if they are a contender late in the season for the ACC championship spot now, I'm not saying title, or probably not beating Clemson in the title game if they get there, but maybe that number two spot in that game. If the offensive line massively overachieves, if run defense takes it up a couple of notches, probably more like three or four, so several notches, then you probably put yourself in position because at that point you've solidified both lines of scrimmage far beyond what I think many would expect given recent results. And I think the biggest game to circle is an early season test at home against Miami. I don't think a lot of people are talking about that game. Even in the ACC, I don't think a lot of people have been talking about that game. And that's a key game because I think a lot of folks for Miami chalk that up as a win. It's, it's you know, they're careful about it. They're not mocking Louisville, but they're counting on winning that game. I think the general public counts on Miami winning that game. So you pull the upset there and then you're off to the races because at that point, if you beat Miami, then obviously you were good enough to beat Miami. And if you were good enough to do that, then this side of Clemson, I mean, where is the insurmountable obstacle in front of you? You could probably compete with anyone at that point. Vine Uploader is next. When I look at the 24-7 team talent ratings Tennessee and Florida have, they're very close. Why is it that Florida is thought of so much more highly than Tennessee? I am very biasedly curious why the expectation levels are so different. And yes, I made that word up. Beautifully done there. Biasedly. It's okay if you are biasedly submitting a question. I expect no less from you guys. This is a very good question. I believe in what he's saying, the spirit of what he's saying here. This is to say nothing about Florida. I'm talking about Tennessee. Tennessee's roster is not nearly as inferior anymore as a lot of people out there think it is. Now, some of you just heard me say something I didn't say. What you probably heard me say that didn't come out of my mouth is they're right there with Georgia. They're right there with Florida. I don't think that yet. Now, they're recruiting well right now. They're recruiting as well as they have under Jeremy Pruitt so far, obviously. Limited sample size. But that's not a bad roster. And they, I think, are doing a quality job of developing, especially the offensive line. I mean, that's been a miracle transformation over the last couple of years to be what they are now to the point where they haven't even gotten Cade Mays ruled eligible which would have been beyond a make-or-break eligibility issue two years ago for Tennessee on the offensive line. And now it's one of those, well, if we have him, hey, maybe we have the best offensive line in the SEC. If we don't, we still got one of the two or three best. I mean, that's a really good transformational job of developing and recruiting and coaching on the offensive line. But if Tennessee had a bona fide stud at quarterback, people would take him more seriously this year. I'm not calling Kyle Trask a bona fide stud. I am telling you people believe in Kyle Trask. It starts in terms of public perception at the quarterback spot. I'm telling you right now that's where it starts. So you're asking me why is the perception different. I'm telling you that the quarterback position at Florida, people believe in. The quarterback position at Tennessee is a question mark. And I'm not so sure that I disagree with either of those assessments. But I do think also that Tennessee's roster probably is built to where um, the perception, since that's the word that's in play right now, is that some of the big boys are able to show up with their C to C-plus game and just out-roster Tennessee. I don't think that's the case. I don't, I don't think you have to be playing at an A-plus level if you're Alabama to beat Tennessee, but I don't think the C-plus level is going to get it done. That's kind of what happened last year 
Now, last year, you had Tonga Bailoa out, or I think that's the game he got hurt in, actually. And, you know, Alabama's kind of sloppy, and Tennessee turned it over down on, like, the one-inch line, and I was at that game. It was the one where they debuted the big light show that I mocked and then was amazed by. That kind of performance, if it happens again this year, for example, that's the kind of game where Tennessee could pull off a stunner. It could be against Alabama. It could be against Georgia. My point is it could be against Florida at the end of the year. I agree with you. The gap's not nearly as big as the perception would lead you to believe it is. All right, let's take a break right quick. When we come back, I really got a good one, and it has to do with Jamie Newman. That was the other really big news that broke on, what was it, Wednesday, yes. And you talk about overturning things in the SEC East. Well, with Georgia's presumed starting quarterback out, what does that do there? We'll talk about it right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It was a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. All right, so we come back here and Michael says, how does the Jamie Newman opt-out change Florida's chances, not only in the SEC East, but nationally, maybe for the playoff? I assume most of you know this by now, but I never take it for granted because a lot of you have lives and you can't just stay glued to the internet all day. Jamie Newman, uh, preseason favorite to start at quarterback at Georgia. He was the transfer from Wake Forest. He opted out yesterday, yesterday being Wednesday. He opted out, got a couple of weeks into camp, and then opted out. This sent shockwaves through the college football world yesterday, and especially at Georgia. And so he put out a statement where he said it's because of concerns related to COVID. I'm going to opt out and prepare for the draft, and more power to him. It, it's really hard for me to imagine being in that Georgia locker room, you know, being fully bought in as a player and not being pretty pissed off about that. But I'm not in the Georgia locker room, so I'm going to sit here and just answer your question. And the question is, I think it could change things over there. I think it very well could. Now, they believe in JT Daniels. They wouldn't have taken him if they didn't. And I'm not even going to get into the speculation of, well, did they take his transfer because something was amiss there with Jamie Newman? No, I think they took his transfer because you're trying to get as many good players on your roster as you possibly can because Kirby Smart came from Alabama where they have stacked talent on top of talent for years now and depth has prevailed and they've won multiple national championships because of it. So you stack that quarterback room. It's no different than any other room. You stack that room as packed with talent as you can and then you let the chips fall where they may. Well, the chips just fell. And one of them opted out. And so now, for all the folks who thought it was controversial that Kirby Smart took JT Daniels a few months ago, we had some of them that emailed me for the Late Kick Live episode we did after they took that transfer. And they said, well, this could upset the quarterback room. Well, what does this say to Jamie Newman? Do you care now? 
Do you really care? Because what if you hadn't taken him and Newman still opted out? You know, because he says he opted out because of COVID, not because of competition. So let's take him at his word. He opts out now. Who are you falling back on? Carson Beck? He's been on campus five minutes. Dwan Mathis? Hadn't taken meaningful snaps for you. I know folks love him up there. I do too. It's a great story. I mean, he had brain surgery, if you guys are unaware. And so it's a great story, but great stories don't win at quarterback in major college football. What are we looking at here? Stetson Bennett? That you're, you're not talking about winning seven games this year. You're talking about trying to win a national championship. So now JT Daniels is the guy. Here's what I worry about. It's obvious. I don't think there's anything behind the scenes to worry about here. It's obvious. And the worry is you got a new offense. You got a new offensive coordinator. You lost spring. Can you imagine how precious the last two weeks have been in terms of installing an offense? And maybe whereas you would have been able to divvy up more reps if you had all spring and then summer workouts and then fall to go through, that's not the case. So those first team repetitions have never been more valuable at the quarterback position than they are this year. And a guy walked in via transfer and took precious first team reps that you'll never be able to get back. And now he's out. And that would be my concern because Georgia's schedule is not backloaded. It's front loaded. And so week two, here comes Auburn. Week three, you got Tennessee. Week four, you're going to Alabama. And then week five, after a back-to-back-to-back emotional and physical stretch, you're playing Kentucky. So the SEC East, everyone assumes it's going to be decided in Jacksonville come October. Uh, No, it could be decided in weeks two, three, and four one way or the other. So that would be my concern. And yes, Michael and several other people submitted a version of that question. Yes, I believe it's a very big deal over there. You can Two things can be true. You can be a Georgia fan, and you can have confidence in JT Daniels and also admit this is a big blow. Like, I mean, let's be reasonable. Let's be honest with each other here. David is next up. I was wondering if you had any thoughts or opinions specifically on the polarizing opinions of Bo Nix's development. This is the sophomore quarterback at Auburn. I love Bo Nix. I watched him in high school and a, an incredible athlete, phenomenal athlete, one of the best high school quarterbacks I've watched. Now, I don't scout him uh, quite like some of our guys do here at 24-7 Sports, but I've seen my fair share of high school quarterbacks. Bo Nix walked into a place that is not famous for developing quarterbacks. Let's just call it what it is. At Auburn, when they've been their best under Gus Malzahn, it's been because they went the transfer route, Juco route, whatever the case may be. They have failed to recruit a kid out of high school and develop him into being an all-SEC caliber quarterback. That hasn't happened. Now, Chad Morris has walked in the door over there, and he's very good at doing just that. But notice what I said. He just walked in the door. So to answer your question there, David, the polarization of this comes in the fact that people who believe in Bo Nix know that he's got an incredible package of talent. The detractors would say, doesn't matter how talented he is, He's not in a place where we've ever watched anyone develop a quarterback into anything. Gus Malzahn's offensive system, is his passing concepts, his route tree, which is virtually non-existent or has no more than one or two branches on it. I mean, inter- intermediate routes. Let me tell you about Malzahn's passing game, and it may not be his offense anymore. We'll see what he does. But I was at SEC Media Days last year, and to his credit, he was honest with me when I asked the question, and he answered it. I said, Coach, in your offense – how much do you value the intermediate passing game? And he said, we are going to run the ball, run the ball, and we're going to play action over the top. That's our offense. Well, here's the problem. Not that it was some big state secret before, 
But every SEC defensive coordinator has known that for a long time. I mean, that's been the running joke down here when people are coaching defensive backs during game week for Auburn. No one bites on double moves. No one bites on 7 to 10 yard in routes. They know, man. You're either stalk blocking me out here, you're going over the top, or you're a decoy and I don't really have to worry about you and I can go pursue. Everybody knows that. And so if you're a quarterback, think about how that affects you. You got world-class defensive backs down here. If you're taking out 60% of what they normally have to worry about during a typical game with a more multifunctioning offense, then yeah, that affects the quarterback. You better believe it does. And so that's where the polarization, I think, comes from, David. Now, all this could be overturned in time. I don't know if it's a week one fix, but in time, if this is truly Chad Morris's offense and Gus Malzahn is just turning into a CEO that chews gum at a very rapid rate, well, then we could see a night and day difference here. The reason that I speak so hesitantly when I'm talking about this is I don't think Gus Malzahn's ever doing that. So, dot, 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 ellipses, I think that's what that's called, dot, 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 that's where I am. On Bo Nix and his performance, his production, let's say that. Not the player, not the talent. I'm totally sold on that. Robbie is next up. As you're well aware of, you often explain aspects of college football using metaphors. And for fun, do you have a favorite metaphor that you can remember using? So I got this question Tuesday, I want to say, or maybe Monday. And I've thought about this for two days. And I, I came up with the best one I've ever gotten, Robbie. So it was about scouting. And I was talking to a coach. I think it was a defensive coordinator in the SEC at the time. And I was talking about scouting and how important that is, obviously. And, you know, that's something you don't ever get to see coaches do. You see them coach. You even follow them in the recruiting process, but you rarely get to see them scout. Just sit there and grind for a 13-hour day watching film from high school. And so I asked about scouting and what's the most important thing and what are the critical factors you look for. And he said, you know what? I mean, I could break down the characteristics and the physical traits that we look for in a defensive back or a linebacker. But really, here's the most important thing. You got to know the difference between a marshmallow, a jelly bean, and a rock when you're scouting players. And so I said, all right, I get it. And I walked away. No, obviously I didn't. I said, huh? Just like you probably just said, huh? And he said, yeah, marshmallow, jelly bean, and rock. And he said, anyone can spot a marshmallow. It's easy to spot a soft player, okay? It doesn't take a whole lot of skill to know that a player's soft. Likewise, most people out there, if they know what they're looking at, they can spot a rock. I mean, they can spot an alpha, an ultra competitor. Got every box checked. Character is a check mark. Physical traits are a check mark. Competitive edge, check mark. Everyone can spot a rock. You make a living, and the difference between making a living and going broke in this business, as he said, is being able to spot the jelly beans. Those are the ones who look hard on the outside, but they're a marshmallow on the inside. And when he said that to me, I think my mouth hung open and I breathed through my mouth for a second. And it was just, because it made so much sense. Think about that. Think about how much in between there is out there. You and I turn on a game, we could spot the soft player. We could spot the hard player. The marshmallows and the rocks, they're obvious. You got, a, you got quite a few jelly beans out there. And I can tell you right now, even as good as I think 24-7 sports is, I think we're the best by 10 miles in the recruiting industry, maybe even 100 miles. But inevitably, any given year, you scroll through our top 247 player ratings, for example, there are some jelly beans in there, and you just don't know. I mean, we got, the, like I said, the best in the world doing it here, but even the best in the world, even the best coaches 
are not going to bat a thousand on this stuff. You're going to occasionally recruit some jelly beans. And the problem is you find out they don't fool you once you're on campus and they're in the game and heat of battle for you. Most of the time they never make it on the field, but sometimes they do. They're going to let you down eventually. You would much rather spot them when they're a senior in high school than have them on the field and it's uh, third and three and it's tied up 17 all in the fourth quarter and it's up to them to make the play. Uh, that's when you find out what your jelly beans are and what your rocks are out there. So that was a great metaphor. And I didn't come up with it. I wish I did, but that was one a coach gave me a long time ago that has always stuck with me. Oh, FYI, it works in life too. It works in life. You got some softies and you got some dependable folks in your life, but you got so many jelly beans out there. That's why some of these folks with these big social circles and they got 15 friends they can hang out with every Friday. Well, okay, you got a flat tire. It's pouring rain on the side of I-65. How many of them are coming to help you? No, the jelly beans are at home. The jelly beans aren't responding to your texts. So yeah, it works on football fields and it works in life. Sean is next up. How do you think the season will actually unfold? What do you think would happen if a major team like Alabama got hit hard with, as Sean calls it, the plague this season? Do you think that teams would be more likely to cancel a game as opposed to play with a decimated roster? It's a good question, Sean, and the answer is you can't be leaving it up to interpretation. So there has to be guidance. There have to be certain thresholds. There have to be you know, certain protocols. In other words, instead of just going on feel week to week, whoa, man, my running back room's kind of depleted. I'd rather us not play this week. You got to have guidance from the league office. I think the Big 12 did that this week, and all the conferences will do that. So, Sean, your answer will not come from me. Your answer is going to come from a league office, and you'll know exactly how that's going to be handled if it happens. I'm not going to say if and when, because I hope the when is false, but if it happens, we will know. All right, next up is Kevin. I wanted to get your take on how you foresee rankings being quantified this year, especially given all the start dates for each conference being different. Let's say Ohio State and the Big Ten played, but they started really late. How would they be ranked versus an ACC or an SEC team? And how would the college football playoff occur? Would they have to move it to February? So here's what Kevin is asking. This is a really good question. Let's say the Big Ten were to start Thanksgiving week. And so that's about the time that the ACC and the Big 12 and the SEC are wrapping things up. They're getting ready for conference championship games a couple of weeks later. I think the rankings would kind of exist in two different universes, really, Kevin, because you are not pushing that playoff to February. If you're starting in late November, you are not participating in that year's college football season. Because when I define a season, I define people who are participating simultaneously in something that is going to be culminated in a national champion being crowned. And if you're starting in late November, you are not actively participating in the race for that national championship. You're not going to be involved in that process. You're just playing a season to play a season Maybe you guys figure out how to do a second Rose Bowl if it's the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. If it's just the Big Ten solo, I have no clue how that works. But as for rankings, if you had them starting in late November and everyone else is already in week 11 or week 12, it may just be for fun that people would put in their own personal rankings Ohio State number two as their 1-0 on the season and Alabama's uh, eight and one going into the last week of the season. I don't know how they do that, and I wouldn't really care all that much. The point is, you better get this thing started early to mid October, 
by the latest, or you're probably not going to be involved in the college football playoff selection process. All right, here's what I wanted to wrap up with. So many of you have submitted questions. And because we have the Ohio State, the, or not the Ohio State, really the Big Ten story kind of unfolding and the Jamie Newman story unfolding, I wanted to dedicate a little bit more time on this particular podcast to those two things. If you're listening on Thursday, Late Kick Live tonight, Thursday night, we will go even more in-depth on that. I mean, it's college football season, man, so stuff is going to be breaking. That's why we do three Late Kick Lives per week. That's why I do two more of these extra podcasts per week. There will never be a shortage of content. But my point is I could not get to all of your submissions in both of these extra podcasts this week. I couldn't get to all of them. Do not be discouraged. Keep submitting those questions because in a normal format, I'll get to every single one of them. And if I can't get to them over the span of two shows, then I need to speed up and I need to not talk so much on one story or question and I need to uh, get a move on. So really thank you guys so much. Five-star reviews again. Want to get to 1,000. That's our goal. We want 1,000 five-star reviews. That's the next benchmark. When we do that, I don't know what's going to happen. It'll be impressive. I just don't know what it's going to be. But get us there and subscribe already if you haven't to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. It is free of charge. And we have got so much coming at you. Thank you so much again for listening. I'm Josh Pape. This is the Late Kick Extra Podcast. God bless.